orange handout. Kind of loaded you down with handouts this morning in your bulletin, but go ahead and grab that orange one, please. Like we did last month, throughout, um, at the beginning of each month, on the first Sunday of the month, we want to take a look back at the work that God did through our church, both here inside of these walls, but also in our community, too. If you would, go ahead and turn it to the side that says, in our church. And I just want to highlight a couple of those for you. A couple weeks ago, we had a fundraiser for our Guatemala work and witness trip that's going to be heading out a team of people at the end of May. Uh, The night of the fundraiser, that spaghetti dinner, we raised about $1,000 for that. And then last week in the service, I let you know that you can still continue to give to that fundraiser, and we raised an additional $600 this last week in our offering. And so I just want to say thank you to going um, and supporting this team that's going to be heading down in order to be able to serve at the end of May in Guatemala. Also, if you look further down that side, I have already let you know about the teen quiz team, the fact that I put that out there to you to let you know that we had a need in terms of buying jump seats for our teenagers, and we raised $250 for that. And then we have also had an anonymous donor come forward. We have to have a computer that powers those jump seats, and we had somebody come forward, and they say that they would like to buy that computer for the teens. And so for the computer and the jump seats, every dime of that was covered because of your generosity. Finally, yeah, absolutely. Every week, um, I really enjoy, I cannot wait to see, whether it be through the offerings, whether it uh, be the different activities that we have throughout the week, just to see the ways in which that people are being obedient to what God is asking for them to do. It says down there at the bottom, uh, February average worship attendance, 130. That is the sum total of the people who are here on Sunday mornings right now, whether it be inside of the sanctuary, downstairs in our children's ministry, back in the nursery, and also the unique people that we reach on Wednesday evenings, those who are not in attendance. And so we combine those numbers in order to figure out how many people are we reaching every single week with the gospel. And that's where we get that number from that you can see our average for last month in the month of February was 130. We have finalized our ballot for our church elections that are coming up. Our church elections are going to be held on March 22nd and March 29th, just three weeks and four weeks from now, respectively. And we'll be sending out more information. Hopefully by next week, we will have the ballot to show you so that you can be in prayer about how to vote a couple weeks after that. Go ahead and turn over to the back. This last week, we hosted a blood drive right here um, with the American Red Cross on Tuesday and Wednesday. They were here utilizing our facility. We had a couple hundred people go through going down into the gym. And uh, I love watching our building be used as a resource and a tool for our community that throughout the week, in between Sundays, that we are watching um, God use this building in order to be able to serve and to love others. Also down at the bottom, like we do every month, we have provided through Faith Promise, through our Go campaign, we have provided financial support to New Hope Shelter and New Jerusalem Missions. 
to the Harvest of Love Fund, which is the money that we contribute along with other churches here in Newton in order to be able to provide financial assistance uh, to those who are in need of food and also utility assistance. And then finally, we contribute financially every month to Heartland Pregnancy Care Center down on South Washington. The only way that each of these, uh, the front and the back, would be able to be accomplished is because of you. And I want to just give you a huge thanks. Um, I am so grateful for the work that you do in ways in which that each member of the church body is using their talents, their gifts, and their abilities in order to be able to serve and to love God and others. So thank you um, each month that we will be highlighting different things that you are doing in our church and in our community. About a month ago, we started into a new series, and in looking at the Apostles' Creed, the Apostles' Creed is um, a statement of beliefs that nearly every branch of our faith that we agree with its contents in essence when we look at the Apostles' Creed, it is Christianity 101. And throughout this series, we've already seen over the last three weeks, and then in continuing that theme today, that we will begin to not only understand what we believe, but why we believe it. What is the foundation for those beliefs? Not just the things that we think, but also the way in which that they are completely based upon Scripture. And starting with Scripture, the way that God has chosen to communicate with us, and then to begin to put together a system of beliefs so that we can convey to others, this is what I believe, this is what we believe, and then also it is based upon Scripture. And so each week during this series, we are going to be reading together the Apostles' Creed. I have also encouraged you over this nine-week series to memorize the Apostles' Creed. I've spoken to some of you, and some of you have already nailed it. I think that's awesome. And um, some of you need to get started on memorizing that as well. But my hope is, is throughout this nine weeks that you would begin to understand to be able to get what the Apostles' Creed is and then how it can help you to share your faith. At this time, I'm going to invite you to please stand with me as we confess together what we believe. So read this with me, please. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church of Jesus Christ, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. This past week, as I said earlier, uh, our church hosted the American Red Cross 
the blood drive. And I saw, uh, just in observing and watching, um, they also have food down there for the volunteers, so I always go down and sneak a little bit of it, because um, it just smells so good. And, but I would go downstairs on Tuesday and Wednesday, and I would just see all of the people that have come from all over Newton in order to be able to donate blood. That blood that is life-giving. When people come into our building at these blood drives, they sacrifice their blood in order to be able to give it to others. However, we host many times throughout the year the blood drive. And in fact, there are other churches in town that host that as well on some of the off months. But blood is always in, uh, we always need it, that over and over and over again that people come here to our church and other facilities in town in order to be able to donate blood. It happens over and over and over again due to crises or natural catastrophes here in our world that there is always that need. In Scripture, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there is this concept in the same way of this life-giving blood. And in fact, if you look up on the screen in Hebrews chapter 9, you will see taken out of the message, it says, that's why blood, as we just talked about, that life-giving blood, that's why blood, the evidence of death, is used so much in our tradition as believers, especially regarding the forgiveness of sins. See, in order for this forgiveness of sins, those ways in which that we have sinned against God, separated ourselves from Him, blood must be shed in order to be able for there to be forgiveness. Now, instead of our blood being shed, Jesus spilt His blood for us, which is what we confess when we say the Apostles' Creed. Inside your bulletin, your final and your third handout, I promise you there's no more, but you can grab it out. I don't know the color of it, um, but it's the final one. Is that white as well? Okay. And in there, you can follow along with the sermon notes. But the first thing that we confess together is the Apostles' Creed encourages us to confess that Jesus suffered for us. That Jesus suffered for us is one of the pinnacles, it is one of the main themes throughout the entire Apostles' Creed. That system of beliefs that we agree to, Christianity 101. If we go back a chapter from Hebrews uh, chapter 10, which is going to be our main text, but we continue in Hebrews chapter 9, it says this, Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once. How many times? Once. To take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. A couple books later in 1 Peter 3, it says, For Christ also suffered once. How many times? He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, meaning him for us to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. In fact, look how he suffered. In Isaiah chapter 53, it says, Surely 
He, meaning Jesus, took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And skipping down to verse 10, it says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord made his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, uh, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death, and he numbered and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. My wife and I, we have four children. And it seems like as soon as we clean our house and you turn around, the house is messy again. Almost like we can't keep up with it. I'm looking at two of my daughters right now, okay? Because we will vacuum, we will sweep, mop, dust, do the dishes, do the laundry, mow, do some landscaping. We will wipe down the sinks and the showers, and it seems like we can never keep up with the hard work of cleaning a house, that there is just always something to do. It seems like as soon as you clean this area and you move to another, you look back, oh my word, this area is dirty again. Usually, on most days, we run our dishwasher at least once. Most of the time, we run our dishwasher twice. That's a lot of dishes, okay? And I think about how dirty we cannot keep these kids fed. I don't don't know what they do, but we are constantly dirtying dishes and plates and cups and mugs in order to be able to keep up with two, almost three teenagers coming up and our 10-year-old son. When we think about the work that Jesus did for us in order to be able to make our hearts clean and to wash away the sin from us, it was hard work. It was messy work. And the problem is is that we have sanitized Jesus' suffering. That we say such things as, yeah, Jesus died for me, that he suffered for me, that he hung up on the cross, and um, later on he was buried after he died. And, but what we fail to realize, what we fail to think of in that moment is how much he suffered. The agony that he endured on our behalf. The ways in which that he was forsaken the ways in which that he was abandoned by all of those who were closest to him, that at that moment when he was handed over, when he was arrested, everybody he knew deserted him. I mean, I just think about in my life, if I was abandoned by everybody who was closest to me, how alone I would feel in terms of enduring that suffering. 
He was taken. He was bound. He was whipped. His back was shredded. They placed a crown of thorns on his head. They took a stick and they beat that crown onto his head. He was dripping blood from his head. He was dripping blood from his back. They mocked him. They spit at him. They pulled his beard out. And then they put upon his back, his, his back that was bloody, that was ripped up, that was shredded. And they made him carry his cross from where he was all the way outside of the city in order for him to be crucified. Then they nailed his hands to the crossbeam. They nailed his feet to it as, as to the um, post that he had been carrying. Now remember the way that his back was, that was shredded, that was bloodied. The only way in which that he could take a breath was pushing himself up upon his feet that were nailed to that cross. In order to be able to just take a single breath, he had to push himself up. His back was pressing against the cross, just ripping it every single time that he did so. I think about what he endured, the way in which that he suffered. I look upon what he did on the cross, and immediately I think to myself, that wasn't me. Now that's what I deserved. That's what we deserved because of sin. But he took that upon himself. That he suffered for you, even when you didn't deserve it. There is nothing that you have done, no amount of good that you can do in your life that would justify him offering his life on your behalf. He did it because he loves you. Because he cares about you, because he wanted you to be restored in your relationship to the Father. The way in which we are created to have that need, that hole in our life, to be reconnected to him, we cannot do it on our own. And he is the one, when he suffered, that he made it possible for us to be restored in that relationship with God, our creator. When we think about that mess... That Jesus endured in his suffering, in his blood. It's hard for us to even fathom, to be able to wrestle with all that he endured for us. I think about the way in which that we can take our faiths, we can take our beliefs, that we can codify them, that we can put them together into a system of beliefs, into a creed, and it's very easy for us to just read down through them as a set of ideas rather than as a set of facts, of something that truly and realistically happened in time, in history, he suffered for us. In fact, Pastor Ben Myers, he says the gospel is not an idea. The good news about Jesus and his suffering for us, it is not an idea, but it is a fact. Look at point number two on your handout, on your outline, and it says Jesus suffered physically. As I just stated, he suffered physically and he did so in history. For centuries in the Jewish faith, 
on a regular basis in order to be able to satisfy uh, God's need for our sin, in order to be able to forgive us, there had to be sacrifices made on a regular basis over and over and over again. Until Jesus came, until he suffered under Pontius Pilate, as it says in the Creed, until he was crucified, until he was dead, until he died, and until he was buried, over and over and over again, there was this system that could never satisfy what we deserved. It says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming meaning Jesus, not the reality themselves. For this reason, the law, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they have not stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is possible for the blood of bulls, it is impossible, I'm sorry, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Every year, the Jewish people were called upon to offer sacrifices in order to be able to atone for their sins, in order for them to be restored in their relationship with God. Every single year when they made those sacrifices, it was a reminder of their failure. That through this repetition, every single time that they brought this sacrifice to the temple, in order to be forgiven, every single time it reminded them that I have sinned. I have sinned. I have done something to separate myself from God. And inevitably, what that meant was every time that they came to offer offer those sacrifices, they were reminded of their guilt, that they felt guilty all over again. See, what they needed the most was forgiveness, Permanent forgiveness, powerful forgiveness, sin-destroying forgiveness that we have from Jesus. In fact, when you look at this repetition in sacrifice year after year that they would do the same thing over and over, what it is demonstrating is this ongoing grip of sin, that I sin. Therefore, I have to offer a sacrifice. I sin, therefore, I have to do this. And over and over and over again, it would happen. Every single time, they would feel guilty about what happened. Now, here is one of the things. If I had to describe one of my pet peeves in ministry, in being a pastor, is hearing people who have entered into a relationship with Jesus, that they have believed, that they have received from him life. And they still describe themselves and call themselves a sinner. That I'm a sinner. That I sin. This is just what I do. You don't have to. What I find is when we call ourselves a sinner, even though we have entered into a relationship with him, we're just making an excuse for the fact that we have sinned. 
or we're looking to get out of it. We like to shift the blame that, well, yeah, I sin, but it's not my fault because this is who I am. That doesn't even make sense. If you have been forgiven, why do you constantly need to remind yourself of your sin? We are called not to remember that sin. He doesn't remember it. Why should we? Stop identifying yourself as a sinner if you have entered into a relationship with him and start calling yourself a child of God. Start calling yourself somebody who has been created in his image, somebody who is loved, somebody who is going to get to spend eternity with your Lord and with your Savior. That is your identity. Stop taking the easy way out. Stop copying to what your life looked like before you entered into a relationship with him. You have been freed. Stop living like a slave. Verse number three. It speaks to this concept of memory. It says those sacrifices, they are an annual reminder of sins. But what do we called to remember. If you look up here and a little bit later in our service, we are going to be taking communion together. And it says on the front of the altar, do this in remembrance of me. We are called to remember him. We are called to remember his sacrifice, his death, his burial. And next week we get to talk about the resurrection, the fact that he conquered death. He conquered sin so that you didn't have to die. He gives you life. That is what we are called to remember. We are not called to remember our sin. We're called to remember him. We're called to remember his work. We're called to remember his sacrifice. We're called to remember the salvation and the life that he offers to us. In Jeremiah chapter 31, it says, No longer would they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. If he doesn't remember them, why should we? Why do we dwell upon our past? If he has forgiven us, then we need to be willing to live like it in the moment as people who are forgiven and to move forward in the knowledge and knowing that he has given us life. Not only here, not only now, that full, that abundant, that complete life, but for all of eternity. That is who you are. As people who have trusted him, have taken your life, and you have given it up to him, you have submitted your life to him, that you have given up your will and submitted to him. We know that in this moment when we look at Hebrews chapter 9 and Hebrews chapter 10, that Christ has forgiven us and sin and no longer exists. In 1 John, it reminds us of this and it says, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
In these first four verses of Hebrews chapter 10, the author, he focuses upon the negative. Everything that the law was not able to do. These sacrifices over and over and over again, they weren't able to satisfy in order to be able to forgive us completely, wholly and perfectly. But there's this transition here in verse number five when we begin to see not the negative aspects of what the law couldn't do, but what Christ did. The positive aspects of what he did. Look with me at verse number five. It says, therefore, there's a transition right here. When Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but a body was prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me. This is Jesus speaking about himself in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. In verse number 8, it says, first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you didn't desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. In verse number 10, it says, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This one offering by Jesus was once and for all. It was for all people for all time. Once. One of the things I want to remind you about is to beware of people who tell you that his sacrifice, his one-time sacrifice, wasn't enough. That there is not only his sacrifice, but we need to do something because of that. That we need to add to it. What he did for you, what he did for me, what he did for us was sufficient. It was enough. It was complete. It was perfect. It is perfect. One of the lies that we buy into, I I love this quote, and it says, the most destructive thing that I have ever done was to believe someone else's opinion of me. Who cares what other people say? I care what God has to say. I care what he has to say about me. If I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. Even if somebody else wants to add to that and to say, you have to do this and you have to do that. And on top of what he did, you have to move forward in this way and to do these things and go to this place and say these things. Who cares? Everything that he did for you was enough. Verse number 11, he continues. And it says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. And again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Now, what is the position? What are the priests doing? Are they sitting or are they standing? Let's try it again. Are they sitting or are they standing? They're standing. And the reason why is their work is never done. They are constantly over and over and over again offering up these sacrifices on behalf of the people. They are continuing to do this work. But look at verse 12. Look at this contrast. 
But when this priest, when Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Jesus is sitting. Sitting is a position of rest. While the priest had to continually and constantly do work over and over and over again, Jesus did it one time and that was enough. And so now we see him sitting. He's like, I'm done. You don't need to keep doing this over and over and over again. What I did was enough for you. In Hebrews chapter 10, in verse number 14, it says this, and in fact, this is point number three on your outline. I love the way that this is worded. And it says that what Jesus did, it was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very unperfect people. That should be imperfect people, but that's okay. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. That's you. But he provided that perfect sacrifice as a perfect person, as the Son of God, so that we would be made perfect. And those that he saves, we are being set apart for him in his glory forever. Those who he has saved, us, that we are genuinely made new, that we are transformed, that we are constantly becoming more like him. Now, his work was effectual. It was sufficient. But that doesn't mean that he's finished with you. It means that you need to continue to grow more and more like him. For us not only to be perfect, the work that he did, but for us to be made holy. One of them is in the past tense. He already did this. And then now we are constantly and continually being made holy. That as his followers, we should not be surprised. We should not be ashamed. We shouldn't be shocked that we still need to grow. He is not finished with you. Rather, our new life with him is just the beginning. It is a beginning of this eternal life with him. Look at this last point. As those who have placed our trust and our hope in him, We've been given a reset button, and we can start living a life now that is in line with God's will. This is what we confess, that Jesus suffered, that he was crucified, that he died. He gives us a chance to start over for us to be born again, to live with him forever, to no longer be enslaved by sin, but to be free. I'm going to close in reading this passage out of Romans chapter 6. It's a, it's a little long, but I think it speaks perfectly to what we've been talking about here in confessing Jesus' suffering. Not only his suffering, but because of that suffering, what does that mean for us in our lives today? Not just what he did, but how does that impact us on Sundays, and how does that impact our lives in between Sundays as well? Romans chapter 6, it says this. 
What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now, I need you to help me out because my clicker's not working. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we, may, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. How many times? Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. You're free. You are free indeed, and now what you need to start doing is start living like it. Stop defining yourself by your past and start defining yourself by the decision that you made to believe in Him, the life that you received from Him, and understanding how much that He loves you, how much that He suffered for you, so that you may have life. This past week, our building was full of people offering their life-giving blood. Over and over, I saw bag after bag after bag filled. It was this constant cycle of people coming in and filling out their paperwork and heading to a chair and getting their blood drawn. But what if it didn't have to be this way? What if it was possible for there to be a single sacrifice of blood once for all that would give life to all people everywhere for all time. There was. And that life is available to you today if you accept it. If you say, yes, that's what I want. Let me pray for you. Invite our Ushers, those are going to be helping us with communion for them to come forward. Jesus, when we look at the work that you did and the suffering that you endured on our behalf, it is almost overwhelming for us to consider it. 
but you call for us to do this in remembrance of you, to do this in remembrance of what you have done, do this in remembrance of what you desire to do in and through us, the life that you offer to us. And so this morning, Jesus, we remember you. We don't remember our sins. You have already forgiven us of that. We are looking at the now, at the present, and at the future, and moving forward. You have forgotten our sin. You remember it no more. Why should we? During this time, we thank you for the opportunity to remember you. In your name, amen.